Once you're taking your seats, you can grab your Bibles and open up to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, or ushers up the front here. We're going to walk towards the back, and we would love to get a copy of God's Word into your hand. So you can uh, just raise your hand. We'll make sure one gets across to you, and uh, we trust that it will be a blessing to you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, just keep it. It's our gift to you. It's a joy for us to give you a copy of God's Word today. I was trying to think through uh, my own life and consider the amount of sermons that I've heard and the topics that I've heard preached, and I was trying to figure out if I've ever heard a sermon preached on kindness. And I don't think that I have, maybe not specifically towards kindness. Sure, I've heard kindness referenced and talked about in the context of a sermon. Obviously, I have. But I'm not sure I've ever heard an entire message on kindness. And I think it's fitting that we're spending an entire afternoon, an entire sermon focusing on this topic. Because I I think what I've just described is indicative of how maybe kindness has been overlooked or undervalued as a virtue in the Christian life. We are more inclined, perhaps in this day and age, and maybe even in our own church, to gravitate towards virtues that seem a little bit stronger, that seem maybe a little bit more powerful. I think that we often emphasize virtues like courage and conviction. We aspire to those things. We value those things. I think that... Rightly so, we do that, and yet at the same time, I don't think we value kindness in the same ways that we value courage and conviction. And yet, the presence of kindness in your life is a preeminent evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. And as such, kindness is something that's supposed to overflow from the Christian life. I think for many of us, kindness is, is kind of sprinkled on our life, kind of like we sprinkle salt, you know, on uh, some dull food every once in a while. You know, we just kind of sprinkle it. But that's not the way kindness is supposed to manifest itself in the Christian life. Kindness is to the Christian, listen, what salt is to the ocean. It ought to saturate every part of the believer's life, flavoring all that we do and all that we are. And that is the truth of all of the fruit of the Spirit. They are to be a part of who we are as we continue to mature in Christ-likeness. Let me read it for us again in Galatians 5, and then we'll launch out of this passage and look at a number of different scriptures Paul reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." So what exactly is kindness? It's been said that it's hard to define, but we know it when we see it. Someone has put it like this, kindness is the language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. 
And I want to maybe differentiate kindness from niceness because I think sometimes we confuse those two things when, when they're not the same thing. You see, I, I think niceness is it's kind of like the veneer of kindness. It's an external display of kindness without the internal disposition of kindness. And so what we're after as we look at this fruit of the Spirit, kindness, we need to see that this is something that is supposed to be internally driven. Kindness is actually something that is a disposition of the heart, and then it wills forward into external acts of kindness. But, but the external acts, kind of like baptism, are simply an external display of an internal reality and disposition. If I was to kind of give you maybe a summary statement about kindness, a biblical maybe definition, I think the closest I could get would be Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 where Paul calls us to not only look out for our own interests, but to look out for the interests of others. I think that's a very succinct and pointed way to define what we mean when we think about kindness. Kindness is a disposition of the heart that seeks the welfare and the benefit of others. It's looking out for their interest. And it's doing so, not looking for payback and not looking for a pat on the back. And it does so realizing, listen, that the person we may be seeking to benefit and serve may not be deserving of it. To be kind means that we simply want to help others. We want to encourage them or comfort them to do something that serves or benefits them in some kind of a tangible way. And I think it's very interesting that the Bible's call for kindness often comes in the context of difficult circumstances when it's least natural for us to display kindness. And that's, that's an important point because all of the fruit of the Spirit, we need to understand, are not natural to the flesh. They are something that are, is supernaturally produced by the Spirit of God. I also think it's interesting that as you track through the fruit of the Spirit, you'll notice what comes right before um, kindness. Remember what we looked at last week? What is it? Patience. I, I don't think the order of patience and kindness is a mistake because so often, in order to show kindness to others, we need to be patient with people. And by the way, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Remember we looked at it last week, right? And describing love and how it's manifested in the Christian community. Remember what he says? Love is patient. What's the next thing that follows? Love is kind, that tells us something about the challenge that we face to show kindness. I think we can see it like this. Being kind to others is one of the most notable characteristics of a genuinely loving, spirit-filled follower of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, as we've been looking at uh, for the last number of weeks, is something that God produces in us it only happens supernaturally by the work of the Spirit of God. It is a byproduct of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, at the same time, we also see that it must be intentionally and carefully cultivated by us. I want to think through how we can cultivate kindness together. 
I want to look at it in three ways. First, in order to cultivate kindness, I must recognize God's kindness. And again, just similar to last week, since it's a fruit of the Spirit, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that it is also an attribute of God. The Spirit of God within us is simply trying to transform us more and more into the image of God himself. One of the most common ways of describing the heart and the character of God in the Old Testament is to say that God is kind. Last week I mentioned that people often have this distorted view of the God of the Bible, and and in particular the God of the Old Testament, right? The God of the Old Testament is angry, he's filled with wrath, and and he's vengeful, and he's just out to get human beings who've sinned against him. And, and, And then they look at the New Testament as if somehow the God of the New Testament is a different God. See, the God of the New Testament is loving, he's great, He's tolerant. And the irony there, listen, here's this is something just to chew on. The irony in that kind of thinking is that actually the greatest displays of wrath and judgment are found in the New Testament, not the Old. First, at the cross of Jesus Christ, where God unleashes the full fury of his wrath upon his one and only son, Jesus. And second, when Jesus Christ returns to judge the wicked and the unrighteous. And for sure, we see glimpses of God's judgment. We, we, again, we've been seeing this in Genesis. You can't ignore the flood. You can't ignore Sodom and Gomorrah. You can't ignore the fact that God will often even judge his own people, sending them off into exile for their rebellion and idolatry. And yet, I want you just to consider this as you read through the Bible. The incidences of God's judgment and wrath are few and far between. And in the spaces, the long gaps between God's judgment, do you want to know what we see? his patience and kindness to human beings. There's a a word that's used frequently in the Old Testament to describe God's kindness. It's the Hebrew word chesed. And it's it's an incredibly important and nuanced word. It's, it's, It's so profound and so deep that often Bible translators, they have a, they have difficulty kind of finding the right word for it. And so you'll often come across this word translated as love in the Old Testament, or you'll see it as faithfulness or mercy or compassion. And those are all great ways of kind of understanding the nuance of this word. But I think the best way to interpret this word is actually how the New King's James Version does it. And, and this may sound familiar. You want to know how it translates this word hesed? Steadfast, loving kindness. It's such a profoundly important word. It's a covenantal word that describes the very heart and character of God towards his people. And we see this word used all throughout the Old Testament, and and we see it a lot, actually, in the Psalms. In fact, Jameson read for us from Psalm 145, which is reaching back, as we saw last week, to Exodus 34, where God defines and describes himself to humanity, and he uses this word right there. But notice in Psalms uh, 36... For example, verse 7, I'll have these on the screen, but if you want to look them up or jot them down, you can. The psalmist says this, how precious is your steadfast love. Think of it like this, how precious is your steadfast loving kindness, O God. 
The children of man take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So, so you see the psalmist describing the steadfast loving kindness of God in that God, he shelters his children. He provides for them. He protects them. He cares for them in, in very tangible and real ways. And the psalmist recognizes this kindness of God. Psalm 63 verse 3, because your steadfast love, there it is again, your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. You see, the psalmist has experienced this steadfast loving kindness of God in in unbelievable ways. And what does it do in the heart of the person who's experienced this? Here's what it does. It it stirs the heart with love and affection and devotion. and, And the heart erupts in praise to the God who is steadfast in his loving kindness. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He is steadfast in loving kindness in everything he does for his people. Let me throw a couple more in for free. There won't be on the screen, but Isaiah 63, 7 says this, I will recount the steadfast love, the steadfast loving kindness of the Lord And here's in recounting this. The praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us. And the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast loving kindness. One more. Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts in this that he understands and knows me. What do we know about our God? That I am the Lord who practices steadfast loving kindness, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. How awesome is our God, the God of steadfast loving kindness, amen? It just pours forth from him because that is who he is in his very heart, in the very core of his being. He is a God who is kind to us and he is concerned with the welfare of others. Listen, maybe you've walked in here today and you don't really have a relationship with God. Here's what God wants you to know. He cares about your welfare. He cares about you personally and intimately. He cares about all the details of your life. He cares about all your hurts and your pains and your struggles, the anxieties. And he wants to see you flourish and thrive. He is kind. And he is, by definition, kindness. So you see, the road to being kind is recognizing first that God is kind. But it's not enough to simply recognize it, okay? Secondly, in order to cultivate kindness, I must receive God's kindness. So one thing to see it, to acknowledge it, it's an entirely different thing to receive it and embrace it for yourself. I mentioned that kindness in the Bible often comes when it's most difficult or unnatural to do so. That's true for us, but I need you to hear this. It's actually not true for God. His kindness towards us, it actually shines forth on the backdrop of our rebellion against him. 
And, and for us, it's an unnatural thing to show kindness to somebody who's not kind to us, right? For us, it's an incredibly difficult thing. Everything in us, in our flesh, resists showing kindness to people who dishonor us, disrespect us, mistreat us, hurt us. But for God, it's actually the most natural thing for him to do to move towards sinners instead of away from sinners. We find that it's easy to be kind to people who are kind. God is kind to people who are unkind. Since the fall, humanity has not naturally lived in a loving, loving, honoring, worshiping relationship to God. Instead, we've lived in a relationship of rebellion, rejection, and idolatry. And in the book of Romans, Paul lays this case out in the first few chapters. And his intent is to level all of humanity. So put them on, on the same footing and for them to realize that they all suffer from the same condition, that all human beings are sinful. And so he goes after the Gentiles first and he shows how, how they don't worship God how they, they love their sin and they suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And all at this point, all of the, the Jews hearing Paul are cheering and saying, yeah, those wicked Gentiles, look at those sinners. And then Paul kind of turns the table on them and says, hold on a second, you're not off the hook. You who think you're righteous are actually wicked sinners as well. You're as undeserving as the Gentiles are. And so he levels the Jews and Gentiles, and he, he says this. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. I wonder, have you ever heard the phrase, the best of men are men at best? You heard that before? No? It's like one person? Okay, awesome. Okay, well, that's, that's the thing. Okay, the best of men are men uh, at best. But, but listen, the Bible says that the best of men are wicked, depraved, ungodly sinners deserving of God's judgment and divine wrath for all eternity. That's just not as quotable. It doesn't fit as nicely onto a bumper sticker. But you know what's so amazing? Paul moves from the plight of humanity in their sin and guilt, deserving of God's judgment. He sees the mess and the trouble of humanity. And listen, this is what's so awesome about the kindness of God. His heart instinct isn't to rain down judgment in rejection. Instead, it's to come down in rescue and compassion. In fact, listen to what Paul says in Titus 3, verse 4 and 5. It's such an amazing verse. He, he says this, but when the goodness, catch this word, and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying that Jesus is kindness incarnate, okay? So, so John, when he writes his gospel, he says this. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul says, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. 
We, we need to pause and ponder this for a moment. I, I don't want to run past this too quickly. You see, when speaking of the most incredible moment in human history, in speaking of the most defining moment in the universe, when heaven comes down to earth, when God steps into his creation and becomes a man, when the plan of redemption is at its most pivotal phase, Paul can simply say, kindness appears. I think, listen, it's fair to say that kindness, then, is not trivial or inconsequential. It has the potential to be eternally significant for when the kindness of God appeared, he saved us. And Jesus, kindness incarnate, he he actually, in his life and ministry, he modeled for us tangible acts of kindness. So he is kindness, therefore we should expect he displays kindness. And that's actually what we see all throughout the New Testament. We see these unbelievable acts of, of kindness that just seem to characterize all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does. Let me just give you a few examples. I think as we read through the New Testament, what we see is that Jesus kindly provides. You'll probably be familiar with the accounts of Jesus feeding the 4,000 or the 5,000. Really, the crowds were upwards of probably 20 to 25,000. And, and here's what happened. Jesus, during his life and ministry, he was such an incredible teacher that crowds flocked to hear him. And he would often kind of go out from the villages and kind of off into the hills and, and be, be kind of taking people farther away from their homes and where the food supply was. And, and there were times when, when all of a sudden people had been out there for days without any food and, and his disciples began to kind of be a little bit panicked. And, and, and they would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, you need to send people home so they can go eat food. And Jesus' response was, why don't you give them something to eat? And the word of God actually tells us on a number of occasions that Jesus, as he looks out on the crowds, it says that he had compassion on them. And then he takes, you know the stories, he supernaturally, miraculously takes a very small amount of food and he begins to multiply the food and he feeds the thousands upon thousands of people. And the text tells us this, that every person ate and was satisfied. And Jesus is is communicating in a very tangible way, not only his physical care for people, he is telling us, listen, that he has come to satisfy every need of a human heart. Let me give it to you in in a principle that I think can maybe help us translate this into our real life. Internal compassion leads to external acts of kindness. What God wants to do is is make us like Jesus. He wants us to have that heart of compassion that that looks and doesn't say, well, I really hope they figure it out. The heart of Jesus is to look in compassion and say, I will do whatever I can to help them out. Secondly, we see not only that he kindly feeds, we see that he kindly heals. And, And again, You can't read the Gospels without seeing how Jesus has this powerful ministry where he he physically heals. We read about it in John just a moment ago. He he heals people who are born blind. He heals people who are born lame. He even raises people from the dead. He casts out demons from people. But I think one one of the most profound 
episodes of healing in the Gospels is when Jesus heals lepers. Lepers were uh, on the margins of society, according to the Old Testament, if you were a leper, if you contracted leprosy, you were viewed as being unclean. You were seen in your culture as untouchable. And, and, and this was, in so many ways, it was a death sentence, not just the physical reality that you could die from this. I mean, communally, this was a death sentence. I mean, your whole life was gone if you contracted leprosy. I mean, you were, you were ostracized from your community, from your family. You were pushed to the margins geographically of your society. And not only that, you were excluded from worship, the very heart of Israel's community. This is a, it was a devastating reality. When people got near to you, if you were a leper in that ancient world, when people came near to you, you had to start yelling, unclean, unclean, unclean. So people made sure to keep their distance from you. Can you just imagine the, the, not just the physical toll that would take on a human being, but the emotional toll, the psychological toll, the spiritual toll, the kind of trial that must have been. And in Matthew chapter eight, in the first couple of verses, there's this account of a man who comes up to Jesus and, and he knows that Jesus had been healing all kinds of people and he knows who he is. He knows how he's viewed by the society. He knows he has no business approaching Jesus and he comes in humility and he says, Jesus, if you will, would you heal me? And Jesus responds by saying, if I will, and then listen, he could have said the word, be healed. But in this really powerful moment, he reaches out his hand and he touches the untouchable. And he communicates to this man, I have come to heal you in more ways than you can possibly imagine. You are untouchable to society, but you aren't untouchable to me. You are unclean to the society and to the world around you, but I have come to make you clean. And you see, this is the kind of ministry that Jesus calls the church of Jesus Christ into. We're to look around at the margins of society, the people who are downcast and who are hurting, the people who, who the world wants to kind of push again to the margins of society and want nothing to do with and wants to reject and keep away. And the church of Jesus Christ is to draw near to those individuals. But I want to just say, some of you in here today, I have to believe in a room like this, looking out across at all, there's some of you in here who actually believe you're the unclean one. You just, you look at your life, you, you, you see maybe the, the, the mess that sin has made of your life, maybe by your own doing, there's, a, there's just a, a, a trail of sin behind you that seems to never leave you. You're constantly weighed down by guilt and shame. Maybe you're sitting here today thinking, if people only knew my sin, if they really knew the deepest, darkest recesses of my heart, if they only saw what I did in my life, then I would not be accepted. I would be pushed out. Maybe you even believe that that's the way God would respond to you. And God is saying to some of you today, listen, there's nothing in your life that you have made unclean that God isn't willing to make clean again. There's nothing in your life that makes you untouchable to God. God, God in his kindness, wants to reach out and, and touch you to let you know that you are loved and accepted and you are valuable to him regardless of your past, regardless of your present and regardless of your future. 
He wants to make you clean, but, but the way he makes you clean is that he becomes unclean for you. He takes all of your uncleanness and he actually then gives you all of his cleanness, all of his righteousness, and he pays for all of your uncleanness as he dies upon the cross and suffers the wrath of God in your place. And I think it's, it's important to see, though, that all of these physical Miracles are pointing to something deeper, but let me just again give you another principle. Kindness always turns towards those in need, never away from them. We need to be those who see needs and respond in the same way that God has kindly responded to us in our need. But all of these these miracles that we see in the life of Jesus You know what's fascinating? They all actually were pointing towards a greater kind of healing. All of the provision, all of the physical healing was pointing towards a greater problem that mankind had, that problem of sin that plagues all of us, and it was pointing us to the greatest solution of all. We can be healed, and I think we see this coming together in the Gospels. We see that Jesus kindly forgives. There's this moment in Mark chapter 2 where, where Mark brings this idea of physical healing and spiritual healing together in such a profound way. There's a, a man who's a paralytic, and, and all of these people, all of these sick people and, and, and people who need healing and demon-possessed people, they're surrounding this house where Jesus is, and so this paralytic can't get to Jesus. And so his friends desperately want to get him there, so they climb up on top of this, this roof. It would have been this flat roof, and they, they carve a hole in the, the mud-thatched roof, and they lower the man down right before Jesus. And what's so amazing is that Jesus, in this moment, as Jesus looks at this paralytic, this guy who can't move his body, he, here's what he doesn't say to him. You are healed. You know what he says? This is amazing. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And, and, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the, the self-righteous Jews, they begin to think in their head thoughts like, who does this guy think he is? Like, who, who can forgive sins but God? Who is this guy claiming to be? And Jesus, the text tells us, knowing their thoughts, he turns and he speaks to them, and here's what he does. He says to them, which is easier to do? And then he says this, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And listen, for all time, he called attention to the fact that the greater miracle and by far the most important ministry and the greatest act of kindness is the forgiveness of sins. And in light of all of our our sin and our shame and our guilt, as Paul lays this case out in Romans, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, listen to what he says. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You know what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, 
Don't presume upon God's kindness. Don't think that you can just live in your sin, reject God, and think, you know what? God's kind, God's patient, God's loving, God's tolerant, and and you know what? One day, I will turn away from my sin, and I will turn to God and ask for forgiveness. And he says, listen, if that's the way you think about your salvation, don't do it. Don't presume that that God's kindness and patience are going to last forever. In fact, listen, listen, this is so important. You are not guaranteed another day on this earth. You're not even guaranteed the next breath you take. Do you realize at any moment your life could be gone? Don't presume upon the kindness of God. Come now while there's still time. Listen, we're not getting any younger, right? Every day we live is another day closer to our death. And for some of us, it's, it's earlier than we think. Every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, man, getting old. I'll never forget my, my youngest son looking at the back of my head one day, and he just shakes. He's like, oh, man, oh, no. And I'm like, what's going on? What's, like, what's happened? I thought there's something really, he, he's like, all oh, those gray hairs, Dad. And he goes, he goes, Dad, I don't want you to die. I'm like, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I mean, that's... But listen, listen. You don't have forever. And for some of you, God is saying, today's the day. And the kindness of God, listen, this is so, this is so good. You're, you're in sin. Remember, you're the rebel. You're the one who's just shaking the fist in God's face. You know what God's doing? God's not going, well, forget you. You know what he's doing? He's going, that's okay, I'm, I've come for you. I've come to rescue you from yourself, from your sin. I've come to rescue you from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and one day I'm gonna rescue you and all this cosmos from the very presence of sin. And you know what? We see the greatest kindness of all at the cross of Jesus Christ, don't we? I mean, this is, this is kindness manifests. You're like, so listen, God in his kindness draws you to repentance and then he's drawing you to kindness as he hangs upon the cross for you. He suffers for you. He takes your sin. He takes what you deserve. And in God's kindness, he gives you what you don't deserve, could never earn, and would, if you had to, reject. He gives you his righteousness. And it it gets better. It's like God's kindness draws you to repentance God's kindness pays for your sin. And then listen, if you repent and trust in Jesus, listen to what Ephesians 2 verse 7 says. In the context of our salvation, so that, here's the reason, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's like, look, if you come to me for salvation, you are receiving kindness, and then for the rest of your life on this earth, all the way into eternity, I am just going to heap upon you the immeasurable riches of my kindness forever and ever and ever. That's such an awesome God we serve. So receive God's kindness today. He comes to save you and to dwell in you by the power of the Spirit. Why? Because we are not just called to receive it. Finally, in order to cultivate kindness, we must reflect God's kindness. Kindness is more than simply recognizing and receiving In fact, one of the evidences that you have received it is that you begin to reflect it. 
kindness has feet and it has hands. And I, I think that one of the reasons why kindness is so hard is because we're only looking out for our own interests. We live in a culture that says, like, you matter most, only think about yourself, get yourself ahead. We're too busy. We don't want to be interrupted or inconvenienced. There's things to do and people to see. There's work to get done. And we're often self-centered instead of God-centered and therefore not others-focused. But kindness is the presence of God within you reflecting the passion and generosity of God through you. Kindness is often tied to this idea of both compassion and generosity. So what should Christ-like kindness look like in our lives? Well, I mean, simply put, it should look like God's kindness to us. It should look like Christ's kindness to others. Let me break this down in three quick ways. First, kindness provides. We've seen this in, in God the Father. We've seen this in Jesus. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians 6.10 that we are to do good to all, but especially to those in the household of God. So I want you to see that our kindness is supposed to spread to everybody we come in contact with. Nobody's excluded, okay? Um, and, and that includes enemies. We'll see that in just a moment. But, but we, we're kind to our neighbors, those outside of maybe our spheres of influence, maybe those that we, we don't have regular contact with. But I want you to see what Paul says. Our kindness should be predominantly being expressed in the context of the family of God, the family of faith. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, he said, uh, he said, by this all men will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. Remember what, he, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and love is kind. So you see, our, our kindness is something that is going to build up the body of Christ and strengthen us from within, but then it's also going to be a witness and a testimony to the world out there. They're going to look in here and say, well, something's unusual there. Something's so different and unique. I'll never forget one of the greatest displays of kindness. I mean, I, I've, I've been privileged to have a lot of displays of kindness flow my way, but I'll never forget when I first moved uh, to California, almost 20 years ago now. And uh, when my wife and I left, we had been married for only a few years. We were 23, no kids, and, and really we didn't have much at all. We had almost nothing. That's not true. We had suitcases with some clothes and a massive loan we had to pay back to the bank. That's all we had. And, um, and people were kind as we left and, and supported us and cared for us in sweet ways. But I remember walking into the church our first Sunday. We came into a, an adult Bible you know, fellowship group. There was probably two to 300 people and as we walked in, um, this is great. Uh, we sang a couple songs, and then somebody get up to do announcements. And if you're new, they, they said, hey, if you're new here, why don't you stand up and introduce yourself? How about that for first time to church, right? So, so we did. We stood up, and, and me and Sarah introduced. Hi, I'm, I'm Ian, and I'm Sarah. And we had got to know a couple who kind of knew a little bit about our context. And, and the lady beside us yells out, and they have nothing. <laughs> yes, hi, I'm Ian and Sarah. We're poor. We have nothing, and, and I'll, I'll never forget what happened next. It was, such, it was so powerful. The, the pastor got up right away, and he said, he said to all the church, he said, do you, do you guys, did you hear that? They're new here. This is first, they have nothing. And he said, we're going to pause what we were planning on doing, and for the next 15 minutes, I need somebody right now to get a list right now going right now. Anybody have a piece of paper? They can take a list. Boom, hand shoots up. 
Okay, uh, we're gonna take 15 minutes. I want everybody, they have nothing. They have a little apartment with nothing in it. I want you guys to step up and I want you to provide everything they need and this is the best part. This is what he says. He says, and don't give them your junk. Okay. <laughs> That's so kind. And, and I'll tell you, in 15 minutes, there was a sheet that was filled with every single thing we needed. And over the next couple days, listen, some people came in, they gave us furniture, tables. I mean, they gave us everything you can imagine. Like, Everything in our kitchen cupboards that we needed, a fridge full of food. Somebody bought us a brand new mattress. We had couches to sit on and a desk to study at, and somebody had a car and a parking spot for us. And I'll never forget, I mean, we, we had like, tears in our eyes. It's like, but I'll, I'll tell you, like, God used that moment to etch into my heart, into my mind, this is what the church is supposed to do. This is the kind of kindness that the church is supposed to manifest. Why is this so unusual when this is what the Spirit of God is supposed to be doing in us? Well, the reason is because we need to cultivate it. We need to look for those who are needy, who are hurting, who are isolated. And we need to learn how we can bless people, serve and meet their emotional, their relational, their spiritual, and their physical needs. And, and you know, it looks, it looks a thousand different ways. It could be delivering a meal to somebody in need. It could be giving money to somebody or a gift card to help them out. It could be mowing their lawn because they can no longer do it. It could be picking your friend up from the airport or not even a friend at three in the morning. That's true love and kindness. It could be bringing somebody to church or giving them a car or sitting down for a coffee to let them open their heart or inviting them over for a meal so you can serve them in a tangible way. And I would just, I wanna encourage you, church, you're so good at this. You are so good at this. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church who loves and displays kindness so well. And I wanna encourage you to excel still more. Don't just be reactive. Be reactive. Hear the needs, meet the needs. Be proactive. Go out of your way to find out ways you can bless people. Um, let me give you two more. First, next, kindness proclaims. The truth is, is that our kindness, acts of kindness are incredibly important, but listen, our acts of kindness can't save anybody. They can draw people in, they can bear witness to what we believe, but if you are a truly kind person, listen, you will challenge others with the truth of the gospel. It is actually unkind, if you know the truth of the gospel, listen, it's actually unkind to only seek to meet physical needs and instead just skip over trying to meet their greatest spiritual need, the salvation of their soul. Both are important, don't, don't mishear me. And oftentimes the physical can come before the spiritual, but let us not miss the most important calling upon our lives to be those who proclaim the kindness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, I think this is his mission statement. In Colossians 1.28, he says this, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ I want to encourage you to be intentional about the gospel. Maybe commit to trying to courageously and kindly share Christ with one person a week. And, and maybe if you mess up, just say, that's okay, I'll try again next week. But, but let us not grow weary in doing this kind of good and kindness. Finally, 
kindness pardons. The greatest kindness we can ever show, aside from delivering the gospel to others, is the kindness of forgiving and restoring someone who has wronged us. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 32. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I said last week that we have been forgiven that we might be forgivers. And we need to see that this is actually displaying in such a powerful way the kindness of God toward us. Perhaps nothing reveals the Spirit's work in us and through us more than the kindness of forgiveness. You say, how often am I supposed to forgive somebody who hurts me? Listen, how often has the Lord forgiven you? For me, it's a daily occurrence. Sometimes it's hourly, maybe if I'm honest, more moment by moment. Perhaps there's someone here you need to forgive. Let's make this really, really practical. Right before Paul says this, you want to know what he says? He, he tells us to put aside all bitterness and all clamor. And you know, it's often been said that bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person's going to die. And, and I just, I want some of you here today to release your bitterness to the Lord and to learn to forgive others the way the Lord has forgiven you. And there may be someone right now, and, and I would just say this, even if the person's not in this room, maybe they are in this room, but if there's somebody in your life that has hurt you deeply that you need to forgive, you've just been kind of storing up that wrath and bitterness, you've been trying to play the part of God and, and holding judgment upon another individual, I wanna call you today as we, as we move in a moment here towards the Lord's Supper to just take a moment to release that burden unto the Lord. Vertically go before the Lord and say, God, help me to forgive. And for some of you here today, you're actually going to have to go and make that horizontal connection with an individual and you're gonna to have to go and you're gonna to have to let that individual know that they have hurt you and wounded you and maybe sinned against you. And part of what you need to do is you need to be willing to extend forgiveness as God has kindly extended forgiveness to you. So some of us need to receive forgiveness today from the Lord. Some of us need to extend it. All of us, if you're in Christ Jesus here today, you need to rejoice in the forgiveness of God and you need to reflect the forgiveness of God. Phil Riken says that knowing the kindness of God enables us to start showing the kindness of God. The kindness that we show will never come from within. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a kind gift from God himself, and it might be the most overlooked part of the fruit of the Spirit, but it shouldn't be because it is at the very heart of the gospel itself. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness of God that has appeared and taken our sin upon himself. It is the kindness of God that the Spirit is producing in his people.